Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Yeah, Joe Biden talking today about the man behind the bombing in Nashville. But independent of the bombing, you think about those words, the impact of one man. The impact of one man and the significance of one man. And certainly, that is in full focus this year. And we take a look at so much of what's changed. And over the course of the next couple of days, one of the things I intend to work on proactively, election integrity. And something I've never been is a good victim. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be, you know, when I was playing sports as a kid, Or it could be something like misfeasance in elections. If everything's honest and in the end, there is an outcome, I accept it. However, I will never be a good victim. Because I think good victims really are just losers in the end, ultimately. But when it comes to something as significant as U.S. election integrity, it is paramount that we make a difference when it's necessary. It is imperative that we don't become losers. And eight days, eight days from today, we have the most significant Senate runoff elections in United States history. So it is my intent to arm you with additional information to help those that are in a position to make a difference in Georgia over the short run more informed and to give you an idea of some of the things that you can look for between now and when all the votes in theory are counted in Georgia next week. But then also clear across the country, wherever you are, for you to be able to make a difference going forward. Because we can bitch and moan about what's happened and what we can change at this point. Or we can take the information in hand along with tangible things that have happened in recent history to make a real difference in election integrity in this country. I am Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. Always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. If uh, you are uh, somewhat familiar, who is it? I'm the person who talks about there being two sides to stories, one side of facts, and I talk about the premise. The premise of anything is false, anything built on it will fail as well. So we operate with pragmatism. We operate with facts first and foremost. And it's on this particular note, when you take a look, before I dive into explaining how our election integrity in the United States is the worst in the developed world, and no no hyperbole here, U.S. election integrity is the worst in the developed world, provably. I'm going to get into these details. Before we get there, and you just kind of take a step back and go, all right, well, why is it, how is it that perhaps you had misfeasance, election misfeasance on a grand scale across this country? And specifically in six states that had the potential, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, to perhaps affect the outcome of 
who the next president of the United States would be. How is it that happened? Well, the first thing is opportunity. And the opportunity exists when you have a crappy election system in place. Okay? Again, we'll get into that. But the other is a bit of common sense. All right? So you take a step back. You take a step back and you think about how we got here. I even remember having this conversation on numerous occasions over the past few years, independent of knowing exactly how the execution would go down. And the conversation was this. It wasn't like the greatest conspiracy in the history of the United States of America, which is what took place with the corrupt actors in the Obama administration, with the Clinton campaign back in 2016. It's not as though you had people that went from honest, decent actors within our government agencies to the people who carried out that conspiracy. That took an awful long time to get people to that level of being corrupt. Okay, so when you have corruption on a scale so grand that the highest levels of the intelligence agencies are in on it, when you have the highest level officials at the State Department that are in on the grand conspiracy to frame Donald Trump for Russia collusion, and when you have members at the highest levels of the Justice Department that are in on this scam to create this Trump-Russia collusion narrative, when they're all involved in it, when you had the Clinton campaign that bought and paid for this fraudulent dossier, which was used by all those corrupt actors and those government agencies to set the stage for what eventually played out. When you had all those people that went to all of that trouble, was there ever a chance they were going to go, oh, well, shoot, it didn't work out. You know, we didn't get them out of office that way. So, hey, you know, I, I, I guess uh, we'll, we'll go back to being honest, decent arbiters of, you know, government work. There was never a chance that was going to be the case, right? If anything, you knew they would double down their efforts. Because the threat of Donald Trump as president of the United States, the influence and the power of one man. In this case, Donald Trump representing a positive, destructive force. A positive, destructive force to break down the corruption at the highest levels of our government. The, the threat that he represented to them, if he had a second term, being able to finish the job that he started, it was so great, they had to have another insurance policy, right? And one that was better than the insurance policy they had four years ago, because, well, that one didn't work out in the end. Got close, but no cigar. This time, they weren't going to miss. So what better way, what better way to have an insurance policy than to ensure that you have an opportunity to control election outcomes if you need to. Now, that's just common sense and pragmatism with facts in hand. What it doesn't do specifically is talk about how everything took place. Now, the last time that I was with you in this forum, which was November 25th, if you didn't hear that show, I would encourage you to go back to the Mark Levin Show podcast and listen to that show where I broke down the Dominion voting systems and the systematic ways that they can be corrupted, most commonly with Sequoia software, because that's what really was at the root of much of the questionable 
practices in play. The Sequoia voting systems, which were programmed originally by Smartmatic employees, which were Venezuelan engineers, which were first designing this system for the election of Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. That was later found to be corrupt by the United States government and which was eventually sold by Smartmatic as a result of the findings of corruption with that voting system. But that was later purchased by one then-Canadian company, Dominion Voting Systems, in 2010. And because we had so many election officials across the United States that either weren't minding this door or wanted an opportunity to keep really crappy election systems in place, we have Sequoia software that's operated in each of the states in question this cycle. Now, opportunity and motivation. That's how you end up carrying out the next leg of a potential grand conspiracy. But again, this isn't about rehashing everything that's happened at this point. This is about us controlling what we can control. It's about us not being losers. It's about us keeping our eye on the ball. And the next most important thing is next Tuesday in Georgia. And then actually, all of the various different voting locations that have been involved in early voting and receiving votes by mail across the state of Georgia in recent weeks. This is where we need you to help play a role. If you're in Georgia, it goes without saying, you got to vote. No matter what else nonsense goes on, we're talking about quite literally the most important Senate runoff elections in United States history. At this particular moment, you go, well, if the presidency is lost, what is it? You know, if we just threw in the towel, what difference does it make at this point? Well, one thing I want to point out, and it's an analogy that I've used a lot in recent weeks, part for self-preservation, I suppose, but also part because it really is true. I want you to think about the American Revolution for a moment. Was it just a series of win after win, victory after victory on the battle? I mean, just Washington and the crew just cleaned up every step of the way on the battlefield. No setbacks. They just took it to the Brits until they were done. No, it didn't work that way, right? I mean, there were a series of setbacks. There were a number of different instances in which the revolutionaries were on the brink. And it would have been easy. At any one of those moments ago, you know what, it, it just, I mean, the odds are too great. It doesn't look good. Uh, this is just not going to work, you know, and, and just to, to wave the flag, to be losers. And they didn't. So back to these corrupt actors at the highest level of government, they didn't get there within one four-year administration, did they? You, you take a look at the Comeys of the world, the Mullers of the world, you take a look at a Susan Rice. You take a look at all these various different actors, and you're talking about people that spent decades in government work, getting to where they got to, helping create this culture so that they were able to go, hey, got an idea over here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have Hillary Clinton's campaign pay for this fraudulent dossier, and it's going to say a bunch of salacious stuff that's put together by this discredited former FBI guy. 
And uh, then we're going to end up peddling it through the FISA courts. Don't worry, we're going to lie to them and make sure it gets through. And in the end, we're going to end up having a conspiracy that ties Donald Trump to uh, the Russians. What do you say? I mean, that's not just a phone call you make between agencies at the highest level unless you're fairly comfortable that you know what the receiving end is going to be thinking and saying, right? So this culture of corruption, the deep state, that wasn't created within four years. What were the odds it was ever going to go away within four years? So in other words, the the point here is not to go, holy crap, the ship has sailed. Let's throw up the flag and and just go, you know, this is not good, and I, I guess it's over. No, this is our watch. This is the United States of America. This is not just your future. It's our kids' future. This is our time to control what we can control. And again, this starts with the next elections in Georgia and subsequently takes place in every single community in the United States of America. It takes place with greater election integrity, with people that are minding the store, and with people that have pressure on them to do what is necessary to ensure that we have honest and fair elections. So over the next couple of days, we're going to be talking about what we can do with election integrity. Because again, yes, United States election integrity is the worst in the developed world. That's not me saying it. That happened to be Harvard's electoral vote project. Yes, Harvard University. And we'll start to get into those details next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. All right, so you've got the uh, the ass-off and the warlock that are, of course, the Democrats running for Senate in, in Georgia. These runoff elections that are the most consequential in United States Senate history next next Tuesday. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I know it's ass-off. And the Reverend Warnock, of which you, you just heard the, the Reverend Warnock, not, not the ass-off and the warlock. It's so easy to get those two confused. By the way, that was my nickname for John Ossoff. You, you might recall, speaking of losing, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. By the way, they follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. 
But uh, anyway, you, you might remember he actually lost a special election already. This one back in 2017 for the suburban Atlanta district that uh, one time was actually held by one Newt Gingrich and actually was the district that I grew up in. Anyway, uh, you, you take a look at where we sit with, with these two characters, and you hear the, the typical socialist themes here. So you hear the Reverend Warnock just talking about, well, we want a, a country where uh, where y y your fate isn't decided by how much money your parents make. Welcome to America. And maybe that's the Warnock's issue. Maybe his issue is that he's like, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy. Only he didn't land in Queens. He actually landed in Atlanta, which some, you know, to the detriment of a lot of people at this particular moment in time. But uh, this just in, Reverend Warnock, that already exists. The United States of America actually is the country where you have the most upward mobility. A country where, for example, one Ben Carson could grow up on the poorest street pretty much in the United States of America and go on to be Dr. Ben Carson. See, it's a, it's a funny thing about the way this country works, except when you try, try to create victims. And then you try to control victims, which in so many different ways has been really what this year has been comprised of, right? It's all been about control. It's been about creating victimhood. And then it's been about dealing with the victims that you have created. And of course, a lot of what I'm talking about there is COVID. But isn't it also, at this particular point, a lot to do with the state of our politics and with our elections? See, you had the left that created the opportunity for the misfeasance in our election systems. And then they're going to be the ones that are going to talk about solutions for this country. That, interestingly enough, including election integrity, doesn't involve removing the election systems that are responsible in the first place. Now, in the uh, first segment, I referenced the Sequoia voting systems and the show I brought you on November 25th. We might have to revisit some of those details. I've received a number of notes. People, people asking, okay, well, what really happened there? We'll revisit some of those details. But coming up, we're going to talk about U.S. election integrity, the worst in the developed world, how and why and what we need to do to fix it. We'll also go to the phones at 877-381-3811. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. 
Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. A new hope for his sake, the Reverend Warnock was taught more by his dad than to get dressed. Um, Although, I mean, I suppose if that's about the extent of the takeaways, it explains a few things about where he ended up politically. But nevertheless, we have election integrity issues in Georgia and throughout much of this country. And it's time to get down to business. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. And here's the deal. To, to begin this conversation about exactly what's real, before we talk about specific steps to begin making a difference, here we are. We're wrapping up the most contested presidential election cycle since the 19th century. And as always, that's rooted in fact. Again, even if you take a look at something like 42,000, pales in comparison because you're talking about one state and really two counties within one state. When you talk about the issues we had demonstrably in a minimum of six states, much more pervasive situation. So it is, without dispute, the most contested, disputed election since the 19th century. And the fact remains that we have voting systems that kind of resemble like 19th century voting systems right here in the United States. In many, way, in many ways, it's actually worse than some of what was on the ground in the 19th century. So you think about this for a moment. Pretty remarkable. We're the world's leading superpower, complete with the greatest technology companies in the world, top medical advancements, and really crappy election systems, which are often surpassed by undeveloped countries. No, seriously, we have election systems which are often surpassed by undeveloped countries. It really is that bad. So long before we witness questionable election practices in several states this cycle, yet Harvard University's Electoral Integrity Project, okay? Harvard University, not some right-wing think tank, not some guy in talk radio who ended up coming up with his own chart. Harvard University's Electoral Integrity Project. So they studied election systems that are used around the world. Naturally, because we're the United States, we have the best technology, and we have all these other great advancements and really smart people who do good things. I mean, we're, we're going to be right near the top, right? And um, you've been listening for longer than 30 seconds. You know that's not even close to being the case. But still, how bad do you really think it is in context? So here's a little help. Harvard identified 38 countries. 38 countries which engage in some form of a Democratic-style election. Of them, where do you think the United States ranks? There are 38 choices. Where are we? We're 37. 37. Yes, second worst. So the United States, where do we rank? What's the company that we keep in terms of election integrity with the systems we have in place? Well, we rank just below 
Banuatu. Yes, we are just below Banuatu. And by the way, Gold Star, if you successfully locate that very beautiful archipelago on the map. And uh, in terms of that one country that's below us, Albania. Okay, so we are between the archipelago of Banuatu and Albania in election integrity. And with no disrespect to Banuatu, that's how awful our voting systems are in the United States. Our election systems are so inadequate. You ready for this? Ghana. Ghana. They run rings around us in election integrity. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. There are several countries that are ahead of us, including Ghana. But in the end, and with the, but wait, there's more. The United States ranks 57th overall in election integrity. All right. So in other words, we have elections that are held in 20 countries, 20 countries where citizens lack freedom. Yet they have higher integrity in their elections than ours. I mean, this is the point where the absurdity is off the charts. I've often said the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission. That you've never heard of this. Think about the level of omission. This was Harvard University's annual electoral integrity project. Harvard. Finding that we are this bad. And have you heard any of this before? you got to ask the questions about why. Because what we've witnessed, it's inexcusable. And it should be intolerable. So many state and local governments have so woefully created election systems and protocols prior to the pandemic. they got several undeveloped countries that have greater integrity in their elections than ours. And as I've stated from the onset, onset of all of these election-related challenges. For me, the outcome of the presidential race, it's a secondary consideration. The bigger issue is flawed systems which are corruptible, that lack integrity. And it's really unrealistic to think that we can remain the world's superpower and the beacon of freedom in the world if we're running elections worse than every developed country in the world. And some that aren't. And some that aren't even free which is provably the case using Harvard research. Once again, two sides to stories, one side of facts. Let's go to the phones and Mike in Topeka, Kansas. Mike, go. How are you doing? Hey, doing hey, well. How are you? Yeah, doing very well. Uh, what, what, what's on your mind? So here in Kansas, we had a person that our state decided they didn't like and not everybody else liked him chris kobach wanted to make it so that everybody had voter id it's real simple we all have ids to go to the store and cash a check you have to have a id to go to the doctor to prove who you are it's not that hard to have a voter id you're such a racist though. very simple and and all this crap going on could have been avoided a lot of it with voter ID. But the Democrats will fight you to the end. The liberals say it's not fair to the poor, but they're basically saying the poor ain't smart enough to go get their own voter ID, which is an insult to me would be the fact that they're smart enough to be able to cash checks. Why can't they get a voter ID? 
It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. Yeah, I mean, but but there you go. Just you, being a racist, because we all know we've been conditioned by the left that uh, voter ID is is racist uh, because you know right. if you're if you're disadvantaged and you're 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 poor, then by by God, somehow or another, that precludes you from getting a free state ID, so we can prove who you are. And uh, Mike, appreciate the call, and you're right on point. In fact, as we're talking about Harvard's electoral integrity project, what is it that all of the top 20 countries in election integrity have in common. Which, by the way, if you're wondering what some of those are, countries like Denmark, Finland, Norway, Sweden, Iceland, Germany, the Netherlands, Estonia. Estonia checking in at number eight in elect- election integrity. Good on you guys. Costa Rica. No kidding. Costa Rica. Number nine. Number nine. And here we sit at number 57. Anyway, uh, what you'll find is that, yeah, voter ID. Uh, and remarkably, in all the rest of the developed world, it's not been determined that voter ID is racist, and thus they actually have it as a condition. So, yes, demanding voter ID laws as we are talking about solutions and the necessary work to be done, demanding voter ID laws if they do not exist in your locale, that's part of it. That's part of it. Let's go to Matt in Houston. Matt, go. Hey, Brian. Um We've got some people that have gone to to Washington, D.C. to try to put some pressure on the electors, and I really am skeptical if that can work because these guys were pledged to Biden out of these six swing states. I think it would be a lot better if our guys would go to these swing state legislatures and demand that they withdraw their electors because I don't think you can get the votes changed. I don't think you can get these people replaced. Um, Mark could probably give more insight into this. But if they withdraw the electors, which they should have every right to do, then nobody gets to 270 and it gets resolved in the 12th, 12th Amendment process. So, Matt, uh, you're right on point in saying that the great one actually would be uh, the most skilled, as he is the top constitutional scholar in this country, to, to be able to talk about this. But uh, being something less than that level of, of experts on this particular topic, but knowledgeable all the same, I think you're right in your thought that it's probably not going to go anywhere. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about this over the next couple of days because I mean, it is a relevant part of the conversation. January 6th, a day that a lot of people have circled because this is when the, the final showdown occurs to determine the president of the United States in Congress. And also, day after these Senate races, these runoffs in Georgia, got a Really important couple of days coming up next Tuesday and Wednesday. But anyway, when you're talking about the the 12th Amendment and when you're talking about what is being applied in the context of the conversation of, hey, maybe we can can contest this thing coming up next week and exact a different outcome. You're referencing the 1887 Electoral Count Act. So it picked up on the 12th Amendment and this particular act threw in a bunch of other contingencies that can come into play if Congress decides that they are rejecting the Electoral College. Okay, so that's where the conversation is. It's the it's Congress rejecting the Electoral College. But but what I'm saying is this: if the legislatures for these individual states simply say, "Look, our election laws were violated because they were not followed according. We were not allowed to do. The courts have done nothing to do this." There's evidence of fraud. These are Republican-controlled legislatures. 
they can say, look, we're withdrawing our electors that we submitted right. because like, and and then nobody gets to 270. So here's the problem with that. And I, I hear you. And again, I mean, in, in theory, this idea works. But the problem is the Electoral College has already voted. So we're not we're no longer having a conversation about electors unless you have Congress reject, reject the Electoral College as it was already voted. OK, so what would have to happen? And this is where the likelihood of this falls flat. In order for you to be able to have a truly contested election, and a lot of people pointed to the fact that, hey, if you didn't have a contested election, then you would end up having one representative vote from each of these states and Republicans uh, you know, control in that scenario the majority of the states. Therefore, you could exact a different outcome. The problem is the getting there. So the way this has to work is both bodies of Congress, the entire body of Congress, has to reject the Electoral College. Okay, so you've had Representative Mo Brooks. He's leading the charge in the House. Without a doubt, he's going to challenge results in multiple states. You are going to likely have other members in the House that do the same. It remains to be determined if anybody in the Senate is going to. Even Mitch McConnell himself has said, no, I'm not on board with this whole idea of contesting the Electoral College coming up next week. So the first thing is, it remains to be seen if you actually will have any senators that choose to contest. If they don't, it ends there. But let's say for a moment you do end up having a contestation of the Electoral College. Well, what happens if you end up having a challenge in both the House and the Senate? For two hours, you have a debate, each chamber with itself. So the senators would debate and discuss this among themselves. The House of Representatives would as well. After two hours... They would come back and make a decision about whether they're going to reject the results of the Electoral College. Again, the entire body of each. Now, in theory, if you want to play the game that, okay, well, Republicans could, and here's one for you. We got these runoff elections as well coming up in Georgia next week. Even that potentially could factor into this conversation. You're talking about the 6th. We're talking about runoff elections on the 5th. But anyway, the deal is you would have even if the Republicans went along with it in the Senate, the Democrats in control of the House. So you'd have to have the full House of Representatives controlled by Democrats that would be willing to throw out the results of the Electoral College in order for everything else that you referenced and that many have talked about largely in social media in order to happen. So unless you see how you're going to be able to get a Democrat-controlled House of Representatives to throw out the results of the Electoral College, the results are done. Because if just they say that they're sticking with the results in the states, with the votes in the Electoral College, it's over. But again, what we can control, there's a lot that we can control. And it happens to do with election integrity. And it's something that we can do in our own communities and within our states. It's a lot of what I'm going to be talking about, and we'll be back discussing more of it. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. 
That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Uh, that, that was the Reverend Warnock and his very excited supporters, I think. Anyway, in Stone Mountain over the weekend. So my hope is that the level of excitement expressed by his supporters there, we heard, hey, that, that is endemic of actually what happens come uh, next Tuesday, where you have Georgians that vote to restore some sense of common sense back to the United States Senate. Anyway... As we are taking a look at election integrity, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. One thing that I think is really important in context is talking about election integrity. Last segment, I end up breaking down for you some of the results from Harvard University's Electoral Integrity Project, which again showed the United States ranks dead last among developed countries. In election integrity. Ranks 57th overall in election integrity. Amazingly enough, there are 20 countries that don't even have a semblance of freedom, as we would understand it, that have greater election integrity than we do. That's how bad it really is in this country. One of the things that comes to mind is, what could happen here? You think about it. It's something I don't take for granted. Every world superpower has fallen. And when you, you take a look at all the things that are great in this country, and then our election systems to be in shambles, one thing that came to mind for me is, are we watching the beginning of our country's demise right now? Because any country that doesn't have free and fair elections, how can you expect to retain freedom and prosperity? So the demands for change in states like Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Wisconsin, it, it shouldn't stop with the certification of results and whatever happens next Tuesday, it should be the beginning of the end for every Sequoia voting system that's still active in the United States. And that's what we're going to, going to talk about coming up next. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. You want to get to May 1st? 
We'll see what happens by May. Uh, but we want to protect tenants. We want to make it simple. We don't want people evicted. We don't want... Good gosh. May 1st. There's Andrew Cuomo. He's signing some sweeping executive orders in New York today, which just be thankful if you're not in New York generally, as many people have been fleeing to where I am, which happens to be South Florida. It is uh, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I host the Morning Rush WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show WIOD in Miami, and it is always an honor and a pleasure to be here guest hosting for the great one, Mark Levin. And today and tomorrow, my intention is to discuss, identify, and advance solutions to our election integrity issues. Now, if this sounds like something that is grandiose and unrealistic, It isn't if you know what to do and what to look for. And how do I know that? You might remember the names Susan Booker and Brenda Snipes. Election officials in any given locale are a lot like referees or umpires. If you get to the end of a big game and you're talking about the names of the officials, you know that something went sideways. It's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Back in 2018, pretty much everybody knew the names Brenda Snipes and Susan Booker, which happened to be the supervisors of elections in Broward and Palm Beach counties. I saw to it that those two corrupt individuals were no longer overseeing elections in South Florida before it was all said and done. So what I'm gearing up towards today and tomorrow Given you the kind of information, firepower, and the know-how to make a difference. Because I've done it. It is possible. But first, you hear a Cuomo. One thing that you need to be mindful of as we are now heading towards a new year. So many people, it's the easy thing to do. Go, oh, 2020, you know, what an awful year. And yeah, it'll be great moving beyond it. Well, it's all horse crap in, that, in, in the sense about dates on a calendar. And let's be real about something. The virus itself didn't wait until January 1st to do something, and it's not going to go away on January 1st, and the arguments and the issues associated with leadership and executive action, which reigns in our freedom, isn't going away on January 1st either, is it? Here you have Andrew Cuomo in New York saying, May 1st now. He's signing executive actions that are going to determine the level of freedom that you're going to have in, in New York in various respects until May 1st. And who knows if it even ends there. Again, it's why it's important that we don't accept a false premise. And it's why it's important that we have the facts in hand when we're making decisions. Elections have consequences. Every last one of them. And there's not a day, by the way, that I'm not thankful, especially with the Cuomo's the world being out there. Then I wake up and I'm in South Florida, which is why... You continue to see so many people, so many businesses flee. New York and other high-tax states have lost their mind and lost their freedom by electing people like Cuomo. Why they continue to come right here. But I realized uh, last hour, so I referenced the show I brought you on November 25th, which, again, I do really encourage you to go to the Mark Levin Show podcast from November 25th The entire show was about the Dominion voting systems and that aspect of election integrity. 
but I've received enough feedback over the past half hour or so that I'm going to do a little bit of remediation to move the story forward if you happen to miss that show. So about Dominion voting systems and what's real, there's been a lot of conflating that's taking place with the software itself. Okay, Dominion software is but one of three different types of software that's operated by the company Dominion. All right, you have a couple others, including Diebold Systems and Sequoia Voting Systems. Dominion, they developed their own software, but they also acquired, going back about a decade ago, Sequoia Voting Systems and Diebold Systems. Okay, so a lot of what's been discussed about these voting systems and a lot of what we've got to be concerned about, because there are voting systems in the state of Georgia that are going to be used to tabulate votes that are still part of this problem. All right, it's why transparency and why understanding what happens, what can happen, what you need to know and what you need to do in the state of Georgia specifically, it's why it's important to understand what's real and what isn't. So to be clear, there's no evidence as of now that Dominion's systems have been compromised, okay? However, their legacy systems that are owned by Dominion, specifically Sequoia Voting Systems, big-time problem. All right, so Sequoia Voting Systems, their election track record, I mean, absolutely horrible. In fact, I was talking about the problems in South Florida. Of course, they didn't start two years ago, right? Go back to Florida 2000. Guess what company was responsible for the ballots in 2000? which created the pregnant, the hanging, the dimple chats. It happened to be Sequoia. Okay, and then when they released that next generation of product line, the problems actually exacerbated. So by 2004, they were working with a Venezuelan-owned company called Smartmatic. And the Sequoia voting systems programmed by Smartmatic, they are first used in the 2004 recall election of Hugo Chavez. Chavez, he won that election by 20%. And a vote that was deemed not credible by pretty much all outside observers and most Venezuelan voters. And then you had a bunch of government watchdogs, including in the United States, that opened investigations into the Sequoia voting systems. And in 2006, you had the United States Committee on Foreign Investment Investigation into the Smartmatic program Sequoia systems. They determined this. The role of the young Venezuelan engineers who founded Smartmatic has become less visible in public documents as the company has been restructured into an elaborate web of offshore companies and foreign trusts. Okay, that is the specific summation statement by the U.S. Committee on Foreign Investment back in 2006. Additionally, it was found that the systems could be manipulated by users to flip votes from one candidate to another and that they could easily be hacked. So with the worldwide attention on these systems, led by the Bush administration at that time, Smartmatic, they sold Sequoia in December of 2006. And that is the root of the Venezuelan connection involving Dominion. All right, now, when you take a look at Dominion company-owned systems, they're in place in approximately a third of the country right now. And this includes all of the contested states in the presidential election this year. You have these systems that are operating in Arizona, in Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All right, so most of those systems are actual Dominion voting systems, 
However, some are these legacy Sequoia voting systems that are owned by Dominion. So in 2010, then-Canadian-owned, now-Colorado-based Dominion, they bought the Sequoia voting systems, along with the Diebold voting systems I referenced, because they looked to expand their footprint throughout the United States. All right, so all of that takes us to where we are today. Sequoia had a huge footprint in the United States with the paper ballot systems, a la 4 to 2000. When they rolled out the electronic systems in 2004, many local governments across the country, they just upgraded to their new electronic version rather than doing their homework on who was actually behind the systems and how reliable they may or may not be. And by the way, I referenced the ousting of supervisors of elections in South Florida after the 2018 elections. Well, guess what? Palm Beach County happened to be one of those governments. And as a result, Sequoia's highly questionable Venezuelan program voting systems, well, they were deployed across the United States. So you fast forward to this cycle and where we are today. If you had a local government that implemented the Sequoia voting system around 2004, but they haven't replaced those systems, that's what's in use. And that was still the case in South Florida as recently as the 2018 election debacle. It was the Sequoia software, which ended up being used in part to carry out some of the attempted misfeasance. It's something that I worked on to help eradicate along with the corrupt supervisors of elections that were ousted. So here's the bottom line of the deal. There aren't many Sequoia systems that are left across the country, but they exist. And in counties where you've heard of tabulations, which seemingly flipped those Trump votes to Biden votes, it's not only possible with compromised systems, it's what's believed to have occurred from the beginning, the very beginning, the first time it was used in the Chavez election in 2004. So if you want to know where to start with election integrity, what you can do to make a difference, figure out what your voting systems are in your community. Figure out if there are any Sequoia systems that are being used within your state. These systems need to be eliminated from any U.S. election ASAP. You get involved, you get engaged, you raise attention. Nobody, nobody could claim with any legitimacy a reason, a valid reason to operate a Sequoia system. All right, so figure out what goes on. That's the first phase of what you can do to try to make a difference with election integrity in your community and your state. And again, about a third of the country is impacted by this. Be right back. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. RC spokesperson Paris Denard. I mean, how insane is it? How insane is it that we have to have a conversation about having fair and honest elections in this country? In fact, here's the first sign. First time that there's something that really has been wrong in this country for quite a while. How long have we been talking about the need for honest and fair elections? Would we be having these conversations if there weren't issues that would necessitate the conversation? That in and of itself tells you we got a problem. Acknowledging it is the first step towards actually fixing the problem, right? Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mark Levin may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. We're talking about election integrity. Now, walking back to the first hour so of what I was sharing with you, we have determined, and when I say we, using Harvard University's Electoral Integrity Project, the United States has the worst election integrity in the developed world. Worst in the developed world. That we rank 57th overall worldwide in election integrity. Including 20 countries which aren't actually free, which have more honest elections than us, based upon Harvard University's research. We've got a problem. That's one. Then you take a look at the opportunity. Now, one of the issues we get into, as I talk about there being two sides of stories and one side of facts, we have an issue often with conflating things. It may prove, in the end, that dominion itself is a problem. Right now, I think they are just engaged in CYA. Why? Well, because they own a company, Sequoia. They own voting systems they bought back in 2010, which are corruptible. And have been corrupted. And were found by our government back in 2006 to be corrupt. But those voting systems that are still being used within the United States. But the problem we run into a lot of times is we just say dominion, dominion, dominion. And what happens is, because I've done this work too, there's no hard evidence that the dominion program systems are a problem. So dominion, the company, they own systems, Sequoia, which are a problem. But we get into this whole dominion is bad, and then you have people that might have their own agenda to protect the lack of integrity with these Sequoia voting systems to go, no, look, dominion systems, they they can't do what people say they do, and that's where the news media leaves it. Okay, so again, we've got to operate with hard facts. The Sequoia voting systems are a problem. They have been a problem. Our government has identified them as such. They need to go away everywhere USA ASAP. And that becomes job one in actually doing something. Because again, I'm not one who's wired to be a victim. And this is our watch. Right now, this is our time, all of us as Americans. What is it that we can do to make a difference? Well, you vote in elections where you're given an opportunity. So if you're in Georgia, you damn well better save this country at this point. One. But two, you start getting to what's going on in your community. 
And then you start getting into what's going on in your state. One of the things I pointed out over the course of time is that we have a disproportionate level of focus relative to the elections that often have the biggest consequences in our life. We always pay the most attention to a presidential race. We're inclined to pay the least amount of attention to local races. This is evidenced in turnout. Dolphin is under 20% for local-only races and reaches routinely well above 70% for presidential elections. But what election often has the biggest impact in your daily life? Well, it's the one that's closest to you in geography, starting with an HOA if you have one of those. And then taking a look at who runs your elections, your local election officials. They could end up having a huge impact, especially if they have corrupt voting systems in place. And take a look during the pandemic this year. It was never Donald Trump that locked things down that ended up taking away the rights of Americans. You had local governments that did that. Right? So we need to be minding the story close to home, first and foremost. It also happens to be the place where we can make the biggest impact. So figure out what voting system you have in place. Do you know the voting system that's used in your community? And if the answer is no, there you go. First thing you can do, become educated. Then, if you find out you've got a Sequoia voting system owned by Dominion in your community, you know it's time for some serious action. And that's where you get together, you bring information to the news media, you ask questions, you question the local election officials, you question your local representatives, you question your state representatives, including your state senator, you, everybody down the line. That is the first step. Now, Part of the fact-finding still needs to take place. We're talking about the truth of a voter fraud in states like Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And we'll be back with your calls next. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Well, the, the burn doesn't diddle. You know that. No diddling by the burn there. And, of course, the president did sign it. And now we are talking about these $2,000 checks. And after all, it is just money, right? I mean, it's not like it's anything we're ever going to be accountable to. So why not just hand it out to everybody, you know, and, and uh, you know, dogs and puppies? Why don't we give them a 1000 bucks while we're at it, too? Because, again, it just uh, is free money. Ah, isn't it nice? Now, in the world of reality, which does not often exist in Washington, D.C., but where we have elections that decide officials that end up in that particular city I like to burn Which, by the way what happened to you vermont's just a weird place when you think about politics general i mean i think too many people just end up with uh communist ice cream in vermont get confused about life anyway you take a look at the grand scheme of what we can do what i'm focused on over the next couple of days things that are actionable two sides of stories one set of facts, so we just established facts, and then we see what each one of us can do, which in Georgia, there's a lot of work to be done, starting with voting, 
before the end of the election process next Tuesday. From there, the work begins. It's not the time to give up or to go, wow, you know, we, we really got screwed here. It's a time for action because we're not losers and this is our watch. And we know what to watch for. Brian Mudd in for the, uh, the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. And as we talk about election integrity, uh, we are going to get into some of the specifics about voter fraud in states like Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. So give you more information to be able to work with to try to make a difference going forward. But uh, let's go to the phones right now. Kathy from Scranton has been patiently waiting on the line. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi. I wanted to say that no greater love hath no man than he who would lay his life down for his friends. Well, that is a great statement for sure. And certainly all those who have served this country would certainly provide that opportunity to us, which kind of takes me back to the analogy that I was using earlier about the the revolution. You know, you think about what took place back then and how many people. It, one of the amazing things, actually, you know, speaking about the American Revolution, something that I still mar- marvel at when I just think about it conceptually. How many people, especially that were leaders in the American Revolution, had it good? I mean, yeah, they were starting to get screwed pretty hard by, by the king, but still, I mean, if you were you know, one of the the leaders in the revolution and you were doing pretty well and you were pretty comfortable and you had a lot. Imagine, imagine giving everything up, putting it all on the line, including your life to fight for your beliefs. And how many people did lay down their lives so that we could be free today? And it's the reason that we don't go, oh, you know what? It's December 28th and it's the last week of the year. So I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, watch those really dumb shows that sit there and go, here's all the stuff that happened over the past year. Golly gee Wilkers. And, and, uh, you know, just uh, we'll see what happens next time. No, because we're not losers. We look forward. We learn from the past. We appreciate people who sacrificed and we do what we need to do going forward to make sure that we don't lose this country on our watch. Let's go to Larry. Larry, go. Hi, how are you? Hey, all good. Can you hear me? We got you loud and clear. Um, You made a comment that actually was not correct. I hate to say that to you, but according to the Washington Post six days ago, and according to the American thinker who Mark has mentioned in the past, Pence has the ultimate authority. He can throw out New York and California if he wants, because he's not just a functionary. He's so like the here's the problem, Larry. And, you know, again, two sides of the stories and one side of the facts. And the, the problem we get into with these types of, of discussions, and I will spend some more time on this. My intention was to do it tomorrow. Uh, we'll, we'll see how things play out. But the, the discussion is what happens January 6th when you actually have the final votes being cast in Congress for the President of the United States and the discussion involving the 12th Amendment. What people often leave out is the 1887 Electoral Count Act, which picks up on the 12th Amendment and dictates the process that actually is going to play out next Wednesday. The problem you've got when you say that Pence has the say, no, he does not, because 
Mike Pence is the president of the United States Senate. The Senate is but one body within Congress. It requires both bodies of Congress in order to reject the results of the Electoral College. You cannot have any single person that usurps the Electoral College. And just think about the absurdity of that for a moment. And I mean not to be to offend. The problem is you get a lot of people on social media and the like that will pick and choose little bits and pieces. And then there's enough of it that's often disseminated here and there in news media that it gets confusing. <laughs> Imagine a system that's set up to where the vice president of the United States can just on their own decide what elections matter and which ones don't. Which states get a B count and which ones don't. I mean, it's absurd, which is also why it's not true. Again, the only way to have a contested election is in order for both chambers of Congress to reject the results of the Electoral College. The Senate can do it. And in that case, yes, being president of the Senate, the vice president who actually reads the results in a passive role, not a leading role, but a passive role. Because ultimately, it is up to both chambers of Congress, of which he is the president, to, to make the final ratification or rejection of those electoral college votes. But anyway, you have to have both bodies that reject it. Again, real quick, you have challenges that take place in the House and the Senate. Provided that you have a challenge with individual states in each, what you actually have under law is a two-hour process where there is debate between the House of Representatives and the Senate, each body unto themselves. After that two-hour period, they come back and vote and decide if they want to reject the results. If they vote to reject it, then that's how you end up with a contested election, whereby you go to next steps. But that has to happen. It's the only way it can happen. And everything else that you see in social media, everything else that you, you find or you want to read, it's simply not true. And again, if you just think about it from a point of pragmatism, it's kind of absurd that the single most important person in the election process would be the vice president of the United States. Uh, let's go to Parker. Parker in Fort Hood. Go. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for taking my call, Brian. Thank you. Um, sir, I'd like to address uh, how utterly ridiculous and implausible it is that slow Joe Biden could have actually received 81 and a half million votes. So everyone noticed uh, there was an enormous enthusiasm gap between Biden and President Trump. Uh, Biden showed he was cognitively impaired. He was a gas machine and no one would attend his rallies in Delaware. Obama, who's generally considered a very charismatic politician, only 62 million votes in 2012 against Mitt Romney. I, uh, yeah, I think it, uh, we, we got enough there. I think you're breaking up now. But I, I hear you and I understand what you're saying. I'm going to offer up because, again, one thing that I always operate on are facts. And, again, there's no question but that we have election integrity issues in this country. Again, evidence by Harvard University's Electoral Integrity Project, which shows that we have the worst election integrity in the United States. We know that there are election systems, Sequoia systems owned by Dominion, which are corrupt. 
or corruptible at a minimum. Because going all the way back to 2006, the federal government of the United States found as, as much. It's not new information. Okay, so all this being as it may, is it possible that you end up having a bunch of extra votes illegitimately and through perhaps even the use of these Sequoia systems flipping votes? Yeah, it's possible. One thing to keep in mind, though, and you know, it's just a point of pragmatism as you're talking about the differences between, say, Obama's enthusiasm and what happened this election. Well, we know that the, the big difference is that you actually had to make an effort to vote previously. This time around, that effort was pretty much taken away by flooding mail ballots in states across the country, right? So simply lowering the threshold to vote, simply in some states having every single person mail to vote, including those that in some cases are dead or who no longer live there, that necessarily was going to increase the overall turnout. And then you take a look at the overall difference between the two. Again, I'm not disputing the potential for fraud here, but I do want to offer up pragmatic and factual explanations for things. If you take a look at the vote gap in California alone, California is so far gone at this point that if you simply take out the deficit that Trump had in California, you erase his loss in the popular vote nationally. So in other words, simply California going even further to the left, as you've had many people that have been tired of the state on the right that have left it at this point, that in and of itself can account for pretty much the gap even over what happened just four years ago, right, going back to the, uh, the 2016 cycle. So again, I like operating with facts because if all we do is operate with facts, then we can't have people on the left that's the, pick apart our argument. Because what will happen is the moment you give one piece of information that is demonstrably incorrect, you can have people use that against you to erode all the other arguments. So again, I like boiling, boiling it down to brass tacks. And that's why the focus is on these Sequoia systems. Because here's the next thing. If we get rid of these systems, in the process of doing so, if there's more misfeasance out there, there's a really good chance we're going to begin to find that too. And if there's a bigger problem with Dominion as we get rid of those systems, that's liable to crop up as well. So there are many different ways in which simply dealing with the facts and only what we know to be the case rather than, you know, theories will be helpful in this process going forward. Let's go to Tim. Tim, go. Hello. Hey, welcome to the show. Hello. Well, thank you. Uh, you said that uh, you didn't believe that there's any problem with uh, Dominion machines. And I'm calling from southeastern Michigan. My buddy is the guy that sued the Antrim County uh, elections uh, officials in northern Michigan. And he was allowed to have a forensic audit done on, on the election there. So a company by the name of Allied Security Operations Group did that forensic audit, and they're under the uh, title of Purpose and Preliminary Conclusions. Bullet point number two says, we conclude that the Dominion voting system is intentionally and purposefully designed with inherent errors to create systemic fraud and influence election results. 
The system intentionally generates an enormously high number of ballot errors. The electronic ballots are then transferred for adjudication. The intentional errors lead to bulk adjudication of ballots with no oversight, no transparency, and no audit trail. This leads to voter or election fraud. Based on our study, we conclude that the Dominion voting system should not be used in Michigan. We further conclude that the results of the Antrim County should not have been certified. You're exactly right, Tim. You're exactly right. And what you just described is the Sequoia voting system that is owned by Dominion. And this is why it's important to get to the specifics of the problems we have in place. What you said could not be more correct, but we've got to figure out what the specific software is, what this specific platform is. Because, again, Dominion means three different things based upon where these elections are taking place. Be right back. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mudd Lovin. is the uh, voice of my buddy, the uh, mayor of Miami, Frances Suarez, on all of the major companies that have been fleeing New York City for Miami and South Florida generally over the past couple of years. It's not just people that used to be snowbirds that are staying in South Florida year-round. Now you have many of the top financial companies, Goldman Sachs even being the most recent to talk about bringing their asset management business from New York City out of Manhattan. Goldman Sachs out of Manhattan looks, looks like they're Potentially considering South Florida. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, and we're talking about election integrity. And it's challenging. It's challenging to get to the bottom of what's been going on and to the truth. And part of that is we live in a world where you have a news media that is derelict of duty. As I often say, the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission. And to that end, you don't need me to tell you that we have serious election integrity problems in this country. All you actually need to do is view Harvard University's Electoral Integrity Project. Because, again, they found that we have the worst election integrity of any developed country in the world. That we rank 57th overall. That we are behind countries that aren't even free in terms of election integrity. But your news media, they didn't report that, did they? Kind of convenient. Harvard University headline could be Harvard study, U.S. election integrity, worst in the world. I mean, that's kind of a big story, but no, we're not going to tell that story. If the first time you've heard of this is from me tonight, think about that one for a minute. And by the way, the study I'm citing, not even their most recent for 2020, they're, they're just wrapping up but from 2019, and plenty of time to be able to make a difference in advance of this cycle. One of the other challenges is actually, again, getting to the bottom of what we know, just sticking with the facts. And part of that from this past cycle has been difficult because Dominion voting systems, they are the parent company of many of the election systems around the country, including a third of the country that has systems that are potentially a problem. But it's Sequoia voting systems in particular that we know, that we have facts, hard proof that have been a problem. And that's where we need to start by getting rid of them. Identifying your election system, then making a difference. Be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin.
from the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Ah, yes, what better than a new strain for politicians all around the world to be able to take away your rights indefinitely. Ooh, how much more exciting opportunity could there be than an even new strain of COVID-19? So we can sign executive orders in this country and just take away your rights at will and decide who gets to remain in business and who doesn't and where the virus strikes and when. we, We have to protect you from the new strain. We're going to get back to election integrity here in a moment. That is my focus of the night tonight and, and tomorrow night. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, and the Brian Mudd Show, WYOD in Miami. Always an honor and a pleasure to be right here with you. And I am interested, first and foremost, making a difference where we can, not letting this country get away on our watch, by understanding the flaws in our election systems understanding the problems with election integrity, and then specifically corrupted systems like Sequoia Systems owned by Dominion, provably corruptible systems like Sequoia, and then informing you about what to look for in your own community so you can see what voting system you have. Really good chance you don't know what voting system is used. If you do, kudos. Most people certainly don't. That's a place to start. But anyway, about the virus, as you heard from the very British force shots in there, as he's saying, oh, yes, we have to take action. New strain. Just for a point of logic for a moment, think about this one. And it's something that I've been mindful of. And when I've talked about the virus from pretty much the get-go, I was cognizant enough. So we have the worst pandemic on our hands since the 1918 pandemic, right? Okay. So what was it that caused the 1918 pandemic? What happened to be a strain of the flu called H1N1, the H1N1 virus, okay? That is what caused the worst pandemic in American history, which, by the way, even with everything that's happened, still dwarfs the impact we adjust for population that we've gone through to this point. But anyway, here we are 102 years later. And the H1N1 virus is still the most common form of the flu virus. So in other words, what caused the pandemic back in 1918 still around today, despite all these years of medical science going after it and all the flu vaccines and everything else that targeted. Why? Well, because often viruses, when they're threatened, they mutate. And we don't know what we don't know with this thing, which still is quite considerable. 
there's always a chance that at some point we would have mutation of COVID-19 because, well, it's a virus. And it was perhaps even to be somewhat expected that at whatever point you start introducing vaccines and everything else, well, maybe you start getting into a greater phase of mutation as a means of this thing trying to stay around. Again, don't know if that exactly is what's going on right now, but it happens to be exactly what took place with the H1N1 virus 102 years ago. So the question then becomes, do we have officials, whether they be in England or right here in your community, that decide that as long as COVID-19 is mutating, they're just going to keep you locked down or whatever state of half-life that you're operating in right now? Um, anybody got questions or issues with that? And as we heard, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York signing executive actions through May 1st. Now, May 1st, you really, he's just getting rid of the whole first quarter plus of the year. He's already now halfway into the second quarter of 2021 with executive actions, but alone a new strain of virus. Again, the premise of anything is false, anything built on it will be. And that starts with allowing people to use executive actions to take away our rights. But again, that's for a different conversation as this particular focus, especially with the two most important runoff elections in the United States Senate history taking place eight days from now, this is about election integrity. So over the first couple of hours, I did a little bit of a Reader's Digest version of what the history of Dominion voting systems is, what we know the corrupt systems specifically to be, which are Sequoia. Not saying that the other Diebold-owned systems, or maybe even Dominion systems themselves, couldn't be an issue. But we have the hard proof that the Sequoia systems are, that happen to be operated in a third of the country, that happen to be in place in every one of the contested states, including Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Which, again, is a whole other issue, as Georgia is the focus of the Senate runoffs next week which is why we need everybody voting in Georgia, but minding the store as well. Now, as we're talking about the election integrity issues, I've shared with you information from that right-wing think tank, the right-wing think tank known as Harvard University. Yes, the right-wing institution, Harvard University, and their electoral integrity project, which has shown the United States of America to have the worst election integrity of any developed country in the world and ranking 57th overall. Again, two sides of stories, one side of facts. But then we take a look at the truth about voter fraud itself, just specifically even in contested states. Take, for example, the Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin situation here. What is the truth about voter fraud in these states? Just that we know. What's been proven? What's been successfully prosecuted? Well, guess what? It's existed. Voter fraud has existed, provably, within all of them, even recently. One of the things that drives me crazy, if your godless souls and slanderous news media is going to ignore reporting the truth, like Harvard's Electoral Integrity Project, showing just what in shambles our election systems are in this country, the one thing that is even more infuriating is when they decide they're not only going to omit the truth, but then just lie 
about voter fraud saying that it's baseless. How many times have you heard since Election Day all the Trump campaign's concerns are baseless? You know what's baseless? Any credibility for your godless souls and slanderous news media. Gosh, they suck. Anyway, vote fraud was, it is, and it will continue to be a threat to our country, period. And how big of a threat? You just consider these successfully prosecuted cases of voter fraud and key states that were in question this cycle. The cases of prosecuted voter fraud just since 2010, just for the ease of conversation, just successfully prosecuted voter fraud since 2010, courtesy of the Heritage Foundation's voter fraud database. So you can look all this stuff up yourself. Go back through the entire history in all states. Again, Heritage Foundation voter fraud database. So let's start with Arizona. Just since 2010, 22 successfully prosecuted cases of voter fraud. The most recent conviction was this year. But baseless, right? Baseless, these voter fraud claims. 22 cases in Arizona just over the past decade successfully prosecuted. That doesn't mean 22 votes. That means 22 individuals taken down successfully for voter fraud they were engaged in. Georgia. Oh, Georgia. Which is on all of our minds right now. 12 successfully criminal convictions since 2010. 12 in Georgia. Most recent one, the previous cycle. Which, by the way, you also hear, oh, these claims are so baseless. I mean, it's not going to change the outcome of anything. Guess what? In 2018, there was an election result overturned in the state of Georgia because of successfully prosecuted voter fraud. But it's baseless. Michigan. Ten successfully prosecuted cases of voter fraud over the past decade, the most recent conviction being 2016 and that presidential election cycle. And again, these are just the successful ones. But again, it's all baseless. In Nevada, you have had six criminal convictions over the past decade. Pennsylvania, 14 successful convictions of voter fraud. Wisconsin, 39. 39 convictions of voter fraud. Now, we're not even talking about stuff that is still being investigated and that will, without a doubt, be prosecuted somewhere down the line. So these processes often do play out over the course of not just months, but even years before we get to the end of them. It's part of the problem. But just those six states, six states, 10 years, not including anything from this November's election cycle. Six states, 10 years, 103 criminal convictions of voter fraud. But it doesn't happen, right? And it's not that big of a deal if it does, right? Even if in Georgia you had an overturned election last cycle because of voter fraud. And we're just to assume that none of it happened in this election, right? None of it happened. I mean, why would it? And that's the thing. 
Because whether the outcome of elections would have changed or not, you got a responsibility by news media to bring you the truth, to vet the elections. And instead, all they did was vacate their responsibility. They falsely proclaimed Joe Biden president-elect, and then they lied to you about voter fraud. Bigger than the fraud in this election, wherever the truth lands, it's the fraud that was perpetrated on you by the majority of the American news media, rather than them actually just reporting what's happened, just reporting the actual fraud convicted in these states. Now, I just pointed out the six that were contested by Team Trump. There are cases all across this country, including in states that weren't at the forefront. That's part of where we're going to uh, pick up with the conversation coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Representative Mo Brooks, who will be front and center coming uh, January 6th, coming a week from Wednesday when you have the final say and the decision of who will be the next president of the United States. Mo Brooks, of course, is leading the rejection efforts by Republicans in the House of Representatives to contest election results in states like Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. Which, if you happen to miss the previous segment, you're just joining us. A couple things. First, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. But also, each of those states that were contested by Team Trump, each of them has had successfully prosecuted voter fraud within the past decade. In fact, within these six states in question, over the course of 10 years, not including anything from this November's election cycle, you have had 103 criminal convictions of voter fraud just in those six states. But it doesn't happen, right? I mean, you've heard nothing but baseless this and baseless that from your godless souls and slanderous news media. Along with your news media omitting Harvard University's Electoral Integrity Project, which has shown the United States is dead last in the developed world in election integrity, And that we are 57th overall behind 20 countries that don't even have freedom. But baseless. But baseless. Sequoia Voting Systems with Dominion. 
first used in the Chavez election, Venezuela 2004, found by our government to be wholly corruptible back in 2006, but baseless, even though they're in use in a third of the states. Hmm. Baseless, the only thing that comes to mind in this context would be the credibility of your news media. But here's the thing, and I mentioned, I don't want to narrow cast. I mean, there is a certain amount of narrow casting, and I'll be doing more of that tomorrow with Georgia, given the significance of what's taking place there next Tuesday, that is basically the last line of defense from us, and holy crap. One thing we can all, there's something actionable for all of us here. And I've talked about the first step. Really tonight, my plan was to lay out and make the case for the problems, what's happened, what we know, establish the facts so I could give you a bit of a roadmap tomorrow and what we can work on, again, the trenches. mentioned earlier in the show that I had a hand in working to eliminate the corrupt supervisors of elections in Broward and Palm Beach County two years ago. Made it my mission to see to it that happened, along with the eradication of Sequoia voting systems. That's part of what I'm going to help you with coming up tomorrow. One of the other dynamics is it doesn't stop with these contested states. I'll give you an example. A lot of people were asking me a few days after the election, as we are waiting every day to see what votes you had certain states like Nevada decide to count in any particular time and how many more votes might be found in a place like Georgia, Atlanta specifically, had people are asking me, what's going on with Alaska? Remember that? Remember how Alaska, it's like, Three, four days into the election, they were still only around 60% of the vote counting. Like, well, what goes on there? Well, the truth is nothing unusual. Nothing unusual. Not for Alaska. Just you noticing that. See, part of the problem and the reason that the groundwork was laid for the corruption that has potentially taken place in states like Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, it was done a long time ago. Just we weren't paying attention to it. There are problems that persist clear across the country, regardless of state, and in many communities. It's why we all have to look, starting closest to home, where we can also have the biggest impact as well. The uphill battle isn't as uphill when you start in your own backyard. We'll talk about all that. Get your calls as well. Coming up next, Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S.
Was uh, Representative Mo Brooks on Fox and Friends this morning? I mean, it's all details, right? Just details. It all works until it doesn't. You know, there's so many different things that come into play. Is you just hear about money being thrown around, and you hear about the level of compassion and everything else. One of the saddest aspects of what's played out over the course of this year is how effective politicians have been at creating a new dependency class. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. You may follow me at Brian Mudd Radio. Going to get back to your calls and election integrity here in a moment, but just on this particular note, as we are talking about, you know, the new spending plan that was signed off on by the president and the more recent, even greater expansion of individual payouts, potentially $2,000 rather than $600, which was what was in what the president signed yesterday. You, you take a look at safety nets. Now, as compassionate people, we decided some time ago we have safety nets in this country. And we're there to provide a safety net in the event that something comes out of left field, like unemployment, to try to get you from here to there. And of course, over the course of time, that was taken advantage of. The welfare states were created. Family structure was broken down, often with minority families. And you would create these dependency classes. Well, this year, you've had so many officials through lockdowns that have created white swaths of dependency classes. And so the saddest aspect of this, by virtue of embracing a false premise, and that is that we don't have rights the moment that there's a declared emergency. Instead, we have every local and state authority that gets to act as king or queen, as the case may be. It's not your fault. If you're hurting right now, most likely. If your your business was shut down, what do you do? So I believe in a safety net for those situations. If you lost your job because the business that you work at was shut down, I feel for you. And that meets the threshold of a safety net. But that's the problem is we've allowed a false premise to be embraced, that being executive fiat usurping our rights as Americans to create need, which then the government comes back and it fixes, right? It's the same story about dependency classes that we've talked about for decades on a much broader scale. It's why it's always important that we don't embrace a false premise in the first place. All right, now let's uh, get to the phones as we're talking about election integrity. Let's go to Rob in Columbus. Rob, go. Hi, Brian. Uh, hey. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you for the topic. Thank you. Uh, I think that these elections, I mean, everything is moot. All the, all the uh, agenda we have, things we'd like to see, like school choice and things enacted at some point, all that's moot. <laughs> we can't win. And so uh, election integrity is, is, to me, the number one agenda right now. Um, my thoughts on this, and I hope I can organize them, I, um, I listen to talk radio, but I don't uh, ever call in, so um, forgive me. But, no worries. Uh, You're doing my great. My thought is this. Uh, we're in a war for our survival. We know this. Our constitutional republic is at stake. A real war. In a war... You win because you have a strategy, uh, like D-Day, for example, was successful, not because the soldiers just went on their own and went over there and invaded France. We had Ike and we had the Allied generals, and they had a strategy. 
even deceived Hitler into thinking that the main invasion was going to be at Calais, 100 miles to the north. Thought so that true. Several weeks afterwards. Yep. My thinking is that when Donald Trump leaves the White House, and I'm sadly, I have to agree with you, the chances of him staying are pretty slim. So if he would announce on his way out the door, give the nightmare scenario to Douglas Brinkley, for example, who is the presidential historian that said he has a nightmare, and that is that Trump, when he leaves, he'll run a shadow government well, that's what Obama has done. I don't want a shadow government, but I do want Trump to keep the 74 million people that voted for him together as a yeah. mighty army within the Republican Party, because it is our party. We are the base of the party, and that will send shivers through the establishment. And then I think he needs to get a strategy station with his lieutenant general, so to speak, See, that's where the Democrats have us. They strategize and they enact their strategies, even though, you know, sometimes it's illegal like they've done here in this election. But they you got to hand it to them. They work out their strategies. If Trump would organize that kind of a, a strategy session and then say, look, we're going to go into every one of these state legislatures and we're going to say to them, enact the Carter Baker Election Integrity Commission recommendations. Mark yep. talked about this a few weeks ago. That's right. It's got everything. Yep. And and if we could just, you know, say pass this or I'm sorry, we don't want to be mean, but we're, you're going to get primary. And we do this with the U.S. reps and we do it with the senators. We take over the party. We funnel the money to the great America wing of the Republican Party. And uh, that'll send shockwaves through those. And they can do one of two things. They can join us, repent of their past sins, uh, or they can become the Democrats that they really are. Well, Rob, we've got to be. Yeah, go ahead. For our first call, you nailed it. That was a great call. And I think there is a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. There are a lot of assumptions that are made about Donald Trump. And a, a lot of them turn out to be incorrect. You know, a lot of people, even on the right, not there on day one. Many were. I know many in this audience were. However, we know many more were not. There on day one with Donald Trump. And there's a reason for it. You know, it was hard to know what you could expect. But at this point, it's crystal clear. There had never been a, another candidate in the modern era that had such willingness to take on the establishment. And as much as I love Ronald Reagan, and I'm taking nothing away from that man, I mean, look, you had the former head of the CIA who is his vice president. There are no question there are plenty of elements of the establishment, even with his administration. From day one, it was the absence of all that. It's the reason he was such a threat to it in the first place. And because of so many assumptions that have been incorrect about him, I don't know what's going to happen specifically, but I have learned that the man has a plan. And a lot of people think, oh, he's just going to run for president again. What? I, I don't know whether that will happen or not. But I know how much he cares about this country. Because it's the reason why he's still fighting right now for what he believes in. And it's the reason why he is fighting to the very end, no matter what. Because he promised to. So I agree with you. It's important that his supporters stay together. And now it's time. He's done a lot of work for us over the past near four years. It's time for us to do the job. When it comes to election integrity, again, 
bottom up rather than top down. We got to fix things starting in our own communities. And that's a lot of what my focus is on right now and certainly will be into tomorrow as well. Let's go to another Rob in Fishkill, New York. Rob, go. All right. Uh, thanks a lot for taking my call. I just have one one thing to say. I understand the election, and I'm a Republican, and for Trump 100% and everything. But a trillion dollars went out of the country to other countries. We have to support other countries. I understand that. But not now. Take care of the restaurants. You don't feed the people, yep. then you have a problem. You don't control. You have to take care of the people. You're exactly right, Rob. And, you know, there. this is something else that Donald Trump did that the so-called experts, including all of your Wall Street economists that were wrong about pretty much everything associated with his policy, uh, something that was conventional wisdom that was anything but wise. And that is that you're going to have an America first policy and still grow the economy and then not only grow the economy, but grow it even faster than it was growing previously. You know, the idea, and this has been widely advanced by economists for some time, oh, if you have these isolationist policies. Well, no, it's not isolationist policies. America first meant, you know, you you don't screw our country at the expense of other countries. Well, part of the problem we're seeing now, and it's a result of the president being compromised. Now you see all the crap going on again. Nancy Pelosi and company packing all this garbage in. You see our money, all this foreign aid that's that's set in this package that's flying out the door that you're talking about. That's always been the game. The anti-America first policy. And it is reprehensible. I One thing in particular, this side of very specific situations like Israel and making sure that they have everything they need to be able to defend themselves against Iran and company. This side of foreign aid and those very specific and obvious important ways. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? You know, even when it comes to this country, it's one of the arguments I've used for some time. We as a country, we as Americans, very charitable people given the opportunity to be charitable. We're far more generous than not. And we're far more efficient. You know, you take a look, for example, at a government program, the average efficiency rating of a government program, about 18 cents on the dollar. And the reason is, you think about the process, you're in a buck, what happens? Well, You end up getting taxed, and that money ends up going to the Treasury Department. And then if you're talking about a spending program, well, the Treasury sends it to whatever federal agency is going to be the first oversight for that particular aid. And then that federal agency then passes it on to another agency. If it's within a state, it would be at the state level, which in turn will often give it to another organization at the local level, either local government or an organization operating within the state. If it's outside the country, then you're giving it to Lord knows who in another country. And so every one of those steps, you have inefficiencies and opportunity for corruption at the end. Whereas the average charity in the United States of America, just the average, 80 cents on the dollar gets there. So 18% average efficiency in helping people, the federal government, 80% with your average charity. And so anyway, just to, to your greater point about for people to say, yeah, but you've got to support all these you know, undeveloped countries and the like. Well, would we not be more efficient doing so directly through charities as individuals rather than having the federal government do it? But again, when you don't put this country first, as the left often doesn't, well, there you go. But as was proven time and again, starting with this tax policy, all the way through sanctions on China, everything else, 
the economists were wrong. Trump was right. Our economy grew faster. And now we've got to do the best we can with what we've got, starting with these elections in Georgia next Tuesday. Let's go to Jeff in Gainesville, Virginia. Jeff, go. Hey, Brian. Hey. I think you're right that Pence is uh, just sort of an overseer of the situation, and but I still think the state legislatures, if something large were to break this week where there were admissions that was, there was election fraud going on in Georgia and Pennsylvania, those legislatures would have every right to switch out their certification of their, their slates before January 6th. I, I hear what you're saying. So this is part of the conversation uh, that we have had a little bit throughout the course of the show uh, brought about involving next Wednesday, January 6th, the 12th Amendment, the 1887 Electoral Count Act, and the final Hail Mary opportunities that might exist for President Trump in this election cycle. So the, the challenges, again, come down to before you have anything other than the Electoral College vote being certified, you have to have both bodies of Congress, the full bodies, that reject the outcome in states and the Electoral College. And that becomes the challenge. We can entertain a lot of possibilities along the lines of what you're doing if that were to happen. But nothing can change. Nothing, even if you, you said oh, we're going to have you know, new electors. Well, the first thing is they're not actually electors at this point unless you have a contested election. Then you get to electors. The electors already voted in the Electoral College. So you have these contingencies that would come into play. And until we get to a contested election and would have to get to a contested election, then that conversation just doesn't take place. And that's the bigger problem. The House of Representatives, controlled by Democrats, would have to vote to reject the Electoral College re results in favor of Joe Biden to put this into a contested election. Is there a chance that could happen? Yes, there's a chance it can happen until it doesn't. Is there a chance that if something big came out even later this week that you might have you know, 10, 15 Democrats to peel off to join every Republican? I guess stranger things have happened. But that's what has to happen before anything else really matters. And that's why it's not useful necessarily jumping down that rabbit hole unless there's a reason to. Be right back. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mudd Lovin'. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Here you go, the, uh, the Zoom Kwanzaa. 
Which almost seems appropriate, given that you had a felon who invented this thing in the 60s. So, you know, it kind of started out from a point of not really being outside of a jail cell. So, eh, I could kind of see that. And I digress. I digress. That's unhelpful. Uh, but I do have a, uh, a message for you as we wrap things up tonight. The first part of a two-part show on election integrity. And it is about faith. Real faith. And why you should keep it. Because one thing that I have heard from and, and heard loud and clear from listeners right since Election Day. A lot of folks in various states have despair. And it's understandable. You might not trust the outcome of the presidential election. You're suffering from a crisis of confidence in our country's future. And I even, for those who are glad that Biden won... I want you to understand something about those of us that want the truth and integrity in elections. Understand that there's a difference between being in denial over election results as opposed to lacking confidence in the election's processes. And again, this is where I point you back to the Harvard Election Integrity Project, which showed the United States has the lowest election integrity of any country in the developed world, that we rank 57th overall. So again, It's not a question as to if there are significant issues. It's evident there are. But instead, the question is whether the issues with integrity resulted in an outcome which would have been different. Okay, so here's the thing. Whatever happens from here, and most likely that is Joe Biden being the next president of the United States, this is critical what we're talking about to everyone interested in honest and fair elections. That's all this is about. Tomorrow... The roadmap and the path forward. May God bless you. Have a great night. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.